0: Welcome to Ufahamu Africa, a podcast about life and politics on the African continent. My name is Kim Dion, and I'm your host. I'm joined by Ufahamu Africa's co-producer, Sarah Agatoni. Anything fun this week? No. No? (laughs) Stop it! it's
1: raining, right? So almost like April showers, and I'm getting sick again.
0: Right, don't infect our listeners.
1: Right, yeah, please. (laughs) I'll try my best.
0: Okay, so I guess let's just start with things we're reading. One thing I read this week was a piece in the Washington Post Monkey Cage blog by Yale University political scientist Constantine Monda on the authoritarian turn Tanzania's government is taking. Constantine writes about the scandals surrounding the recent dismissal of Tanzania's information minister and the detention of a popular rapper. And he shows how these are not singular events, but rather a broader pattern of the concentration of power in Tanzania's president, John Magufuli. We'll be going in-depth on these issues and more with Constantine during next week's episode, so don't forget to tune in. Talking about government clampdown on information, there was some unsettling news out of Malawi this morning when my friend and colleague, Dr. Boniface Duvani, shared that the government served a warrant to search his office. Dr. Dulani is a political scientist and lecturer at the University of Malawi's Chancellor College, as well as a leading practitioner in the design and collection of public opinion survey data through his years of work with Afrobarometer. While the warrant was issued by the Malawi Revenue Authority, which is like Malawi's version of the IRS, um, it accused his polling firm of evading tax payments. But I think it's really important that we note for our listeners that it's hard to de-link this search from the recent dissemination of research findings by Dr. Dulani of polling data that shows the president has had declining popularity among Malawians. Coincidence. Yeah, and you know, also the Malawian president recently said in a public statement, you know, who are they surveying? They're just surveying a bunch of flies. It's really clear that the government is not happy with the survey findings, mm-hmm. and it's just days later that... A certain branch of the government has issued this warrant. And I also want to raise the point that not only is this being used as an intimidation tactic Mm -hmm. against a scholar and his research, but it's also a way of the government finding out people he's in contact with, right? So if they go in and search his files, they're able to see, you know, who is he talking to and what are they talking about? So it compromises more than just himself. It's true. It's true. So I think that there's some concern more broadly on academic freedom in Malawi, which has long been a struggle going back to the first Mutarika presidency. Um, And so just a shout out to Bonnie Dulani. We're thinking about you and we want you to stay strong through this and we'll be following this story really closely here. Also related to this week's interview, there's some good reporting in Deutsche Welle on the Namibian government considering suing Germany over reparations to compensate victims of the genocide against Herero and Nama peoples during German rule of what was then Southwest Africa and is today Namibia. Before we share our conversation with Kave Mui Morangi, let's go in depth about this reparations question.
1: So to understand the context of the Herero and Nama people's demand for reparations, it's helpful to take a wider look at the larger context of reparations, right? And the first thing that people hear when um, people talk about reparations is how unprecedented this is. Like, it never happens. It's novel. It's far-fetched. But that's not the case at all. And, you know, very briefly, Germany has previously rendered reparations during the World Wars as well as to Holocaust survivors. Right. And the U.S. and Canada have also given reparations to communities of Japanese-Americans and Japanese-Canadians, as well as some groups of native nationals. The U.S., Britain, France, Italy, etc. have been on the receiving end of reparations, so it's not something they're unfamiliar with. Um, And so this should put to rest the notion that
0: reparations do not
1: happen, that seeking redress is something that's
0: new. Not to mention that specifically the country that's being demanded of, right? That Germany themselves, yeah. they've paid reparations for a genocide. Yeah. So it's not like y'all haven't done it before. You right. Know?
1: <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I wonder if that's actually a bad thing, that they feel right. they've done it so much while other countries, such as France and uh Britain, have not done it. And so it almost, like, stops them from wanting to do it because it feels like they're being picked on. And, you know, there's a... Uh, paper uh that i was reading in reference to this it's by laurie balfour it's titled reparations after identity politics Mm -hmm. and i just stopped at the first line which was on a 1998 trip to africa president bill clinton almost apologized for the slave trade Almost, almost (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so this is a narrative many african communities are familiar with where you're always on the verge of receiving some sort of apology but never quite And, I mean, what, two weeks ago, a week ago, in the news, the Catholic Church, finally, uh, 23 years later, decided to accept responsibility for the actions of their members during the Rwandan genocide.
0: 23 years later.
1: Exactly. Um, A few days ago, uh, Ignacio Villalon and Lina Ben Abdullah, whom we interviewed for a fourth episode of China in Africa, um, co-wrote a piece in Africa is a Country, titled French elections and France's colonial war in Algeria. What's in an apology? And the short piece opens with, I'll quote, in a recent interview on a private Algerian TV news station, French presidential candidate Emmanuel Macron called France's colonial history, an act of barbarism and a crime against humanity. If elected head of state, he would issue an official apology to all victims of colonialism. The short piece reiterates how such admissions of guilt however simplistic they might seem mm-hmm. are long overdue and cannot be very polarizing since they're often the first step towards seeking redress.
0: It's almost as if people are unwilling to apologize because they see that that would bring the possibility that they exactly. would have to pay reparations right, because right. if you're really sorry, then you should pay for your mistakes. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's very complicated histories. Um, In America itself, different groups of people, including the uh, Black community, have been demanding reparations. We come back to this notion that this has happened before. It's not novel. It's not new. Right. Right. But yeah, so I guess we'll see. And you know what uh, French presidential candidate Macron is doing might seem seem small, just a gesture, but it would mean something, especially for France. I mean, Benin has been demanding for the return of their art from France for a really long time. And so this kind of captures that too because if france say sorry part of that would be beginning to return to restore and yeah it's a whole it's a whole
0: thing i'm glad you brought that up yeah. because just serendipitously one mm-hmm. of my favorite museums in the world is yeah. actually in benin oh wow Yeah. So it's in Wida, which Mm. is a coastal city in Benin. It's run by the Zinsu Foundation. Mm -hmm. It's mostly contemporary art. It's really beautiful. It's a really well curated museum. It's not very large, but it does have an artist in residence. So you can actually see work being created in real time. I could only imagine what a treasure that would be for the country of Benin exactly. to have not just these contemporary art, right? Mm-hmm. But then to to be able to link that to these long traditions of art, I think many Beninois have um, been deprived of for generations.
1: To have a whole chunk of your history held in a different country is ridiculous. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, France has great museums and it's, it's always great to visit, but to see there's different histories held here. It does make one think. It does make one wonder what's really
0: in an apology. Right. You know, having been to this museum in Ouida, it's not like Benin's incapable of having (laughs) a world-class museum that's air-conditioned and properly contains art in a way that keeps the art's integrity. And so any sort of argument of, well, you know, we're being caretakers of really good art, that's nonsense.
1: One of the purposes of getting reparations relations is that you have the ability to create these monuments, right? To create right. these
0: histories. So check out our website, ufahamuafrica.com, Monday morning, when we'll post links to the pieces we've mentioned, as well as bonus links to things we found interesting. And I promise, we'll really post it on Monday this week. <laughs> <laughs> it will happen. This week, I spoke with Dr. Kave Mui Morangi, a Namibian-born educator currently residing in the U.S., He is a descendant of the victims of the Ova Herero Genocide of 1904 to 1908 and co-founder of the USA-based Ova Herero and Nama Genocides Institute. So I want to welcome you this week, Kave Mui Morangi, to Ufahamu Africa's podcast to share uh, your insights about what's going on in Namibia today.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Kim. It's my pleasure to be here with you.
0: I wondered if you could start off by telling our listeners a bit about the history of activism among Herero and Nama descendants in seeking justice for the genocide committed during German rule of what is today Namibia.
2: As your listeners might know, the overwhelming number of genocides occurred between 1904 and 1908 and was considered the first genocide of the 20th century.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In a sense, the genocide continues to this day as Germany has yet to fully recognize the genocide, apologize, and make reparations. To this day, our people are displaced and scattered all over the world, destitute and marginalized. Long past time for Germany to atone and to begin to stem the effects of genocide. I think one can argue that Really, the history of activism goes all the way back to 1923, Mm -hmm. and perhaps even further. Samuel Mahara, who had led the final resistance preceding the genocide, escaped to Botswana, where he died in 1923, and his remains were returned to Namibia and buried at Okahanja in August 26, 1923. His funeral was seen as a turning point. His funeral brought people together and was the beginning of annual commemorations that typically, because there are several, eight in a year, invariably, various places in Namibia. And on these occasions, various flags of the overhead, including the red, the white, and the green, are raised. People commune and remember and celebrate the memories of the fallen and remind ourselves Germany and the world about genocide. In a way, I've come to see these commemorations as symbols of our resistance because to this day, there is not a single museum dedicated to the memory of the victims of the genocide. Also interesting is that the men wear uniforms imitating the German troops that carried out the genocide. Kind of a ironic. You know, people, when they see this, they respond with ridicule. You know, why are you imitating your killers? I think it served as a reminder to what had happened to us.
0: It's a shame, actually, that there's not some kind of physical structure commemorating what happened. Are there online resources about the genocide and also about the activism to get Germany to recognize the genocide?
2: There are pictures, there are videos that show this, and I have no doubt that they'll continue to be part of the Namibian landscape, even after we have had the resources as part of any reparation from Germany to build physical structures, etc expect that this will continue to be a part of our discourse.
0: There was a recent announcement that Namibia would pursue financial damages from Germany for the genocide committed during colonial rule. What is your opinion on the Namibian government's move to seek reparations?
2: Yeah, that report that the Namibian government is willing or planning to sue Germany in international court uh, is indeed news to us and very surprising. Reportedly, the vice president of Namibia has since denied that the government is planning to sue Germany. It is also interesting that this report came out on the same day that a pre conference was scheduled to take place in a U.S. federal court in the case of the or Nama against Germany. It is possible that this was intended to start from that case and to create uh. a competing narrative. Who knows?
0: So there is already a case being pursued on behalf of the Herero and Nama people, separate from whatever the Namibian government would
2: be doing? Right. Earlier this year, uh, representatives of the Herero and Nama people filed a federal class action lawsuit in U.S. federal court in New York on January 5th, seeking money damages and a court order that Germany and the Namibian government should include representatives of the Ovaherero and Nama communities in current negotiations between the two, the two governments. The German and Namibian government has refused to involve the descendants of the victims of the genocide in these negotiations and uh, this is a violation of a Namibian parliament resolution of 2006 which called for a trilateral negotiating structure involving Germany, representatives of of the Herero and Nama, and the Namibian government as an interested party. It also violates UN resolutions and international conventions including the UN Convention Against Genocide which recognized the rights of groups and individuals affected by genocide and crimes against humanity to seek legal and moral recourse and to speak for and represent themselves. There cannot be reconciliation till Germany recognizes our worth as human beings, sees and understand our pain and suffering and accept full responsibility and meaningfully engage with us to achieve some measure of justice. The Namibian government cannot meaningfully represent the affected community as it has not shown an interest in research of justice up to this point for the affected communities, has not advocated for these communities, have in some cases stood in the way of our efforts to seek justice. One would argue that it is now delaying justice by refusing our participation. If the government refuses to allow a victim to speak for themselves, if it has not even attempted to listen to our needs and demands and does not understand our pain, how can it be trusted to ensure that the affected communities benefit from any outcomes of this Negotiations. the descendants of the victims of the genocide, through our representatives, that we choose ourselves should participate.
0: Kaveh Mui, I have to say, I'm really quite surprised that the Ova Herero and Nama communities are not involved.
2: The Namibian government has uh, formed some committees where some members of the Herero and Nama communities are involved, but some argue that they're just window dressing to give the impression that, yes, the Herero and Namas are involved, but that is not the case. And here's the other thing, due to the displacement of the Herero and Nama, thousands live in other countries, including Botswana, Africa, USA, and Canada. There's no way that the Namibian government can claim to be represented over Herero people in these places. And this is why we think a framework similar to the Conference on Jewish Materials Claims Against Germany mm-hmm. would ensure the full participation of all Herero and Nama in the diaspora.
0: So you live in the diaspora here in the US in fact. What challenges and opportunities do you think activists in the diaspora face?
2: Being here one of the things that I truly value is the ability to connect and network with individuals from a variety of backgrounds and organizations and including folks with political influence. It also means that one has access to a vast array of resources and truly access to local courts that we can use to advance our search for justice as we are doing in filing the class action lawsuit against Germany. Being in the diaspora also brings with it a measure of independence and freedom to speak freely without fear of retribution since one does not depend fully on the government. It does make it sometimes difficult to connect meaningfully with people on the ground and to get the perspective of ordinary people mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the world has become so interconnected uh, right. with social media
0: I have a question about the Namibian government and I'm not sure if you can answer this but I'm curious do you feel that over Herrero and Nama communities are represented in the national legislature or, or in politics more generally?
2: I think uh, many people would argue that uh, the Hereros and Namas are politically marginalized and that plays a factor in the interest of the ruling elite to put pressure on Germany to include the Herero and, and Nama in any negotiations.
0: Those were all the questions I had. Thank you again for joining us this week.
2: Thank you, Kim. Thank you for having me.
0: That's all for this week. Tune in next week when we talk to Constantine Monda, a political scientist at Yale University. We'll chat about single-party regimes, increasing authoritarianism in contemporary Tanzania, and naturally, a few music recommendations in the bongo-flava genre. Until then, find us online and tell us what you're reading and learning about the continent we're at ufahamuafrica.com or on twitter at ufahamuafrica. Ufahamu Africa is a production of Smith College, sponsored by the Committee on Faculty Compensation and Development. Sarah Agatoni, Smith College Class of 2017, is Ufahamu Africa's co-producer. Nikki Okondo, Smith College Class of 2018, is our research and production assistant. Technical assistance is provided by the Center for Media Production at Smith College. Music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. We leave you this week with Black Man by Namibian artist Elimutu. Thanks for listening. Until next week, saneris <laughs> Sawala.
3: Steve Biko said, Black Man, you are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Africa, tell me what happened to your sacred stone. E-I-E. We are not living right, pretending to be happy when we're all alone. E-I-E. Don't care about no one, it's me, my cash, my car, and my cellular phone el atla khilawat el atla khilawat el atla khilawat el atla khilawat a teacher. Yeah She's a black woman. And I am, uh, and I what is she gonna do? I am, uh, I yes, I'm a black man.